Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. That hey, we're going to dive into the last installment of our series called Stories Jesus Told. And today we're going to be talking about uh, another one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever told, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, mind you, nowhere in this passage does it call the Samaritan good. That's kind of a, a term and a, and a title that we have placed on to this story. Um, in fact, in the passage, you'll see that it says a despised Samaritan. Samaritan. But we know that when Jesus looks at us and when Jesus looks at people and, and when we see God working through people, it changes everything. And so quick question before we dig in today. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt the need for whatever reason to let everybody know how good you were, what your credentials were, that you'd been there, that you'd done that, that, hey, hey, I have this degree, or I had this experience, or yes, I've done that a million times. Can anybody just be really honest today and raise their hand and say, hey, I've been there. I've done that. I've spoken up and said, hey, hey, I, I'm kind of a big deal, right? Or at least you thought that. But we all know what that feels like, and, and we crave the need for others' approval. We all know a one-upper in our life. Has anybody ever been around in a one-upper that, man, you give a story, and they've got a story that's better, right? Anybody been there? And after a while, it just gets kind of nauseating, and it's kind of annoying that that, that person always has something better to say. But we've all been there. But for whatever reason, our society is obsessed with comparison. Have you ever noticed that? I don't know if it's the Instagram or the Snapchat or the, or the TikTok or whatever, but, but everyone cares about what everyone thinks all the time. And not only that, everyone wants to be right. Have you noticed that? Even when you don't care what other people are doing with their life, or maybe you care, but it's like, hey, to each their own, and, and you're letting them go and do their own thing, and, and even when you're just like, hey, I'm over here and you're over there, if you don't agree with how they're leading their life, they're offended. Have you noticed that? That we live in a very kind of interesting culture where everybody cares what everybody thinks about what is right or wrong, or whether there is right or whether there is wrong. And it creates an interesting dynamic that everybody wants everyone else's stamp of approval. And that's kind of a tough place to be because we know from being human, not everybody's going to agree. Not everybody's going to get along. People are going to have different opinions. It's just how it is, right? But I think the bigger picture there is that there's something spiritual to that desire at its core. We are created, you and I, we're literally created to be in a right relationship with God. We were created to, to know him, to be loved by him, and to be a part of his family. And yet when you and I were born, the Bible says that you, because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden when they sinned, we're born with a sinful nature. And so right from the get-go, there's this separation between us and God, and because of our sin, we don't have a right relationship with God. 
And so because we don't have a right relationship with God, there's this God-shaped hole in our hearts that wants God's approval. Many times how we interact with the world and the things that we chase, even the sinful things that we chase, are a result of a desire deep within us, a desire that should be filled by God, but we try to fill it with all kinds of worldly and sinful things. If you've never been there, man, I have. That I've got this desire in my heart and maybe this, this, this longing in, in my soul and instead of, instead of filling it with the, the peace and the joy that comes from my Father in heaven, I try to fill it with all this other junk. And so maybe as we look at the story today, when we think about, man, how do I, how do I search for approval in, in my life? Instead of trying to justify it with our own actions or our own goodness, we realize, man, that this is one of the reasons Jesus came, to make us right in God's sight. And so there's this God-shaped hole in your heart that's longing to be filled with God, with Jesus, so that we could be made right. And with that in the backdrop, let's dive into the story today. Some of you are like, what in the world does this have to do with the Good Samaritan? You're about to find out. Luke 10, 25 through 37. This is the passage of the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And let's look at what happens right before Jesus tells the story. It says, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, to test Jesus, by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, anytime an expert in religious law gets up to ask Jesus a question, he's probably not legitimately looking for the answer. If it goes to the trouble of saying this dude is an expert, he's either trying to get Jesus' view on it, maybe he's, he's looking for an argument, we don't know. But he asked Jesus this question that as an expert of the religious law, you would think he would know. And so teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? Don't you love it when Jesus just answers the question with the question? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And you would think if, the, if he was just looking for you know, the answer, and he just spouted off the right answer. And man, and Jesus, the creator of the world, the son of God, affirmed his answer. You would think that he would be like, oh, yes, I got it right. Yes. But no, he, had, he just had another question, right? The man wanted to justify his actions, the Bible says. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I can, I can just almost hear the sarcasm, and, and, and that's me projecting on it. You know, we, we don't know if the question was exactly asked in sarcasm or not, but he asked this question, and who is my neighbor? Why? Because he wanted to justify his own actions. And so before we even get into the story, let's stop here. Because it's important when looking at a passage of scripture like this to not only look at the story, but the context in which it was told as well. And the context of Jesus telling this story is in response to a question, right? And this makes the question very important. And in fact, it's not just one question, it's two questions. 
What should I do to inherit eternal life? And then, who is my neighbor? But the motivation for asking the two questions was very specific, and it means a lot when we're trying to interpret this. The motivation for the question. And we have an insight into his motivations in Scripture. It says he wanted to justify his actions. But here's the, here's the catch. You and I, we don't inherit eternal life based on something we do. Okay? We don't. You don't. Listen, the very word inheritance means something that you receive based on whose you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're, you're a part of the family. People that are a part of the family receive an inheritance, right? So it's not something you earn. It's not like, okay, son, because you were a good boy and you did X, Y, Z, then I'm going to give you an inheritance. Now, we know that some earthly parents may act that way. Maybe you've seen some family drama and it's like, oh, you didn't act right. And so I'm not giving you the inheritance. You know, we've seen that. But that's not the point of an inheritance. The point of it is inheritance is that somebody who's a part of the family is entitled to the rights and the privileges and the, the riches of the family. And so it's that you don't earn an inheritance. You receive an inheritance because of whose you are. Listen, church, we are adopted into God's family when we place our faith in Jesus. We inherit God's inheritance based on what Jesus did, not on what we do, but by placing our faith and trust in him. And so number one, the first thing that we learn from this passage today, if you want to fill it in in your notes, is that we don't come to Jesus to get our actions justified. We come to Jesus because our actions can't be justified. Let that sink in. This, this, this expert of the religious law, he wanted to justify his actions. But when you come to Jesus and you're looking for that seal of approval, hey, guess what? He's not going to justify your actions. That's not the point. And the teacher of a religious law completely missed the point. And instead of answering it directly, Jesus didn't. He, he told a story. He wanted to, Jesus to verbally say that what he had already done was right. But Jesus, when he said, right, when he said, you're right, do this and you will live, he was speaking in and um, he was speaking in a tense that was saying, do this now and forever. And I don't know about you, but man, I have not every moment of my entire life loved God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, and loved my neighbor as myself. I've never done that perfectly. And I probably won't do it perfectly the rest of my life, even though that's my life goal, even though that's what I'm trying to do, even though Jesus deserves it, even though he's worthy of it all. Guess what? I'm, I'm never going to be able to do it perfect all the time because I'm human. And so Jesus, it's almost like when he said, right, do this and you will live. It's, it's almost like, good luck. You know? Because... No one has ever done it perfectly except Jesus. So you can't justify yourself. Only Jesus can pronounce you justified or show you or prove you to be righteous in God's sight. That's what being justified means, for God to declare or make you righteous in the sight of God. 
Romans 3, 21 through 22 says it like this. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. Wow. And so here this expert of religious law comes wanting to justify his own actions, but he's trying to do something that just can't be done. So Jesus tells a story that reflects his heart and shows that we all fall short and he gives us a path forward. And so as Jesus so eloquently does over and over throughout the gospels, he doesn't answer the question directly. He gives us a story to chew on. And so first thing, we don't come to Jesus to get our actions justified. We come to Jesus because our actions can't be justified. If you're coming to church today to, to for somehow for God to look at you and say, hey, I approve, then that's not the point. We come to God because we say, God, I can't, and I need you, right? Amen? And so number two, the, the second thing that we see in the story as we get into the, to the story itself is we see that if our love is all we have, it's not enough. Now, I'm sorry that, that this point isn't more encouraging today, but this is just the truth, and, and listen to what the story says. Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and it was literally down. It was downhill, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him at lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So the priest, which at that time was the equivalent today of what, maybe what we would call a pastor, no, different functions, but, but a church leader, and then a, a Levite, you know, we could call that like a church staff member, somebody who helped fulfill the different functions and whatnot of the church in our modern-day equivalent. But so these two guys that should have been just this picture of fulfilling the great commandment and the second commandment didn't get it right. The traveler, I think it's interesting, was a Jewish man which to these two guys, the priest and the Levite, should have been a brother. And when it says that, that he was half, left half dead, that was a way of saying that he was as good as dead or seemed dead, that when they walked over and they, they looked at him, you know, they might have literally thought, this guy's gone, like he's dead. And so, but they just walked away and didn't do anything. You know, there's a chance that, that they walked over and saw him beat up and, you know, just left for dead and thought, oh, he deserves it. And why would we say that? Because this particular trail, it was very, very uncommon for anybody to travel alone. Because of the geography of the trail, it was very common for robbers and thieves to hide in the, the crevices and the rocks, and, and it, was a, it was a perfect place to set up ambushes, and, and so it was very common, even unwise, for any traveler to ever be traveling this road alone. 
Because this kind of thing happened all the time and they knew it. They knew it. And so even as, as Jesus is telling the story, you know, it's very possible that this expert of religious law who knew the right thing to do all the time might have thought, why in the world would the guy be traveling alone anyway? What a dummy. He got what he deserved. Which, have you ever thought something about like that about somebody else that did something unwise and then found themselves in a precarious situation? I have. Starts to hit home, doesn't it? And so this route, this route from Jerusalem down to Jericho actually had a nickname. It was literally called the Way of Blood because things like this happen so often. And so uh, right off the bat, the, the people that are listening to this story are like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I've, and, and Jesus didn't actually say that he was gonna tell a parable here. He, he just starts telling a story. And so there's even a chance that this particular story actually happened. And so some would even argue that this Jewish man going on this road alone and that such foolishness was undeserving of help. And we do this many times, don't we? We say things about other people like, well, they deserved it. Well, they dug their ditch. Now they got to lie in it, right? We think, what were they thinking? If they would just wise up, they wouldn't have found themselves in this horrible place. And so the priest, like, like any good person, that was just trying to keep a schedule, that was trying to do the right thing, he put his busyness and his good work at the temple ahead of an immediate need that he saw right in front of him. Once again, been there, done that. Have you? He probably had to get to the temple for evening rituals. He probably had a full days of travel. He just didn't have time. Maybe it was his turn to do certain duties at the temple and he wasn't gonna miss it. The Levite, maybe he was on a time schedule too. And we do this, we rationalize things all the time, don't we? Can I propose something to you today based on what we see here? You and I, in and of ourselves, we don't have the ability to love like Christ without Christ. In and of ourselves, we can't love like Jesus. In and of ourselves, every single one of us can find ourselves in the shoes of the priest and the Levite. Even though many times when we read the story, we're like, how could they? When we dig a little deeper, we're like, ah. I remember that time in my life when I passed on by, right? You and I, we might be able to pull off a feat of love now and then. We might be able to pull off a, a random act of kindness now and then and be like, oh, I did it, right? But your love is limited. And everyone that is married in the house says, amen. I don't know any relationship in the world that doesn't show our limited ability to love more than a marriage relationship. When we have to give grace and receive grace and, and know that just sometimes we just don't give it right. And, and men especially, I don't know why this is, but times when it's so obvious what our response should be and we get it wrong. <laughs> that was me like 
a few times this week, right? I should have responded with grace. I should have stopped and ministered to the need, but instead I just wanted to plow right on through. So you and I don't have the ability to love like Christ. We need his help. But the good news is today, because the first couple things that we talked about today are, are kind of depressing. We can't justify ourselves. You know, we're, we're not good enough. Our love is always going to fall short. But now the story turns. So number three, it says Jesus sees us and helps us. He also helps us see and help others. This is the good news today. So the story continues. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You see, Jesus took the, the expert religious leader's version of righteousness and he gave him one up, <laughs> didn't he? He's like, hey, whatever you think you're, you know, you loving God and following God and doing your best is, hey, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna take that up a notch because Jesus, he rarely, if ever, came and lowered the standard. He always came and raised the standard. Just read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You'll see that Jesus said, it, it has been said, and then he would raise the bar. He'd raise the bar. And so Jesus this picture that we see, number one, it was, it was a Samaritan who was a man who was despised by Jewish people. And, and, and so, man, this would just make their, their heads spin. That Jesus was using one of those people as an example of righteousness. What does that say to you and me? That Jesus can help you. That Jesus can use anybody. That even, even people that, man, man, people look at you and say, oh, you've been far from God and you, you don't do things right. Hey, Jesus can take your life when you submit it to his lordship and he can use you too. Man, when I read this story and I see what the Samaritan did, you know what else I see? I see what Jesus did for me. I see what Jesus did for me. Because the turning point of the story is that the Samaritan, he saw the man. It happened, the priest, he saw the man. The Levite, he saw the man. But when the Samaritan saw the man, something different happened inside of his heart and inside of his life. It says that the Samaritan sees the man and is moved with compassion. The Greek term here is, is kind of a funny word. It, it's splachnizomai. <laughs> And it's like this guttural, it's this, this deep word that literally means his bowels were moved. Have you ever looked at somebody and you felt in your gut the hurt that they were feeling? Man, this happens when my kids are hurting. It's like if I see them get hurt in a game, it's like immediately, it's like, ooh, I felt that in, in my own gut. Like I felt that in a way that I could almost feel the same pain they were feeling. 
And, and, and it's the kind of hurt and it's the kind of compassion that, that you don't just sit there and watch. It makes you want to get up. Uh, you know, I was sitting there watching my, my daughter play soccer yesterday. And, and, you know, when there's a collision every once in a while and I feel like, oh, they might have gotten hurt. Have, as a parent watching in a game, have you ever, have you ever like, like felt that and then you kind of raise up out of your seat? Have you ever felt that? It's like because you're about to go run onto the field and help them. You, you know the feeling. That's the feeling. It's not just a, ooh, I feel pity and I feel sorry for them. It's a, it's a compassion that welled up within him that moves you towards action, that says, I can't stay still. I can't stay just on the sidelines. I've got to go and help. This term, this, this Greek verb of, of having compassion, you know, it's, it only occurs three times in Luke's gospel. It's this visceral, gut-wrenching, emotional response that is so strong that we are physically moved to action. And interestingly enough, it's the verb used to describe Jesus's compassion for the multitudes, for the widow, who's, uh, for the widow and the leper. It's the, it's, it's the word used to describe the, the compassion in the story last week that the father had for the prodigal son that was coming home. And so when he saw that son way off and he ran to him and he had compassion for him, it's the same word. And so obviously the, the compassion and the love that was in the Samaritan's heart for the man who was hurting was the kind of compassion and the kind of love that Jesus had for you and me because when he saw you in your sin and in your shame and in your guilt so desperately searching for approval he didn't stay on the sideline he didn't just sit back he got up from his throne in heaven he became a man he walked through a sinless life and he laid down his life for you on the cross he stepped into action for you and when he saw you he had compassion for you He laid down his life for you. He paid the ultimate cost for you. Just like the Samaritan that said, here, I'm gonna pay the bill and and whatever it comes up in the future, hey, I'm gonna pay that too. He looks at your life and he pronounces you righteous before God. Not because of something that you did, because just like that, that, that man that was beaten on the side of the road, he couldn't help himself. And you can't help yourself either. Jesus came at just the right time and did what the Samaritan did in the life of this man who was broken. Church, aren't you thankful that Jesus saw you? Aren't you thankful that he will, when he looked at your broken life, even when maybe you even deserved it, he had compassion on you? Aren't you thankful that he didn't pass you by? Aren't you thankful that he paid the bill for your salvation? Aren't you thankful that he, let, that, that he let his life be your ticket to righteousness? And then the thought that this Samaritan man was able to have the same compassion that Jesus had. And so if he could do it, then you can do it. Anyone can. Listen, church, when we go to help people, when we go to live this Christian life that God has called us to live, we don't just do it because it's the right thing to do. We don't just do it because we ought to do it. No, we do it because Jesus has filled us with love and compassion. 
We do it because we've received for ourselves from Jesus the life-changing compassion which, we, which then we share with those around us in any way that we can. We've received, so we give. We received, so we give. We've been comforted, and so we comfort. Jesus was illustrating to the expert in religious law that while he might know about God's love, he obviously hadn't experienced the love of God. Because if you have experienced the love of God, you know it's something that you don't deserve, and you just, you're just happy to give it away the same thing that you've been given, right? I love what Chuck Swindoll says about this. He says, what you are determines what you see. And what you see determines what you do. So the Samaritan man, he saw something different because of what he was on the inside. And because he saw differently than the priest and the Levite, he responded differently as well. What you are determines what you see and what you see determines what you do. Can I just encourage you today? What are you? If you've given your life to Jesus, submitted your life to his lordship, you're a child of God. What are you? You're forgiven. What are you? You're a second chance holder by the grace of God. What are you? You're unworthy, you're undeserving, but you've been called and you've been chosen, amen? Because you're forgiven, you see the world as a place that needs forgiveness. Because you're forgiven, you see people as people who need compassion, who need a second chance. And because I see that, because I, I know who I am, I have compassion that moves me to action. Amen? Even when I don't want to, even when I'm tired, I rearrange the priorities of my life and I make it happen. Not because I'm special, not because I need a pat on the back, not because I'm looking for other people's approval, but because I know that when I was a sinner, when I was far, Jesus reached out in compassion and he picked me up out of the pit and he saved me and he put my feet on a firm foundation. Amen? Amen. The teacher of religious law that asked these questions in this story, he was a follower of the law, not a follower of Jesus. He could not act like Jesus because he wasn't following Jesus. He had to leave his old life and follow Jesus, which is what you and I have to do today. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes today. Some of you are there and you're like, man, I've just been going through the motions. I've just been doing the religious things. But man, it's time for me to, to not just know about God's love, but to experience God's love for myself. To stop trying to win the approval of people and not, stop trying to be a people pleaser, but start living my life for the audience of one. That I just wanna be right in God's eyes. And the only way that I can be right in God's eyes is by submitting my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
by believing that he died for me on the cross because I couldn't purchase my own freedom and by asking for forgiveness by following him. Man, I hope you hear this loud and clear today. And so if that's you today and you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ and you see that, man, without Jesus, you're sunk. You're sunk. That you're not going to be able to love people and you're not going to be able to go through life the way God wants you to without him. And that you just, man, in your heart and in your life is welling up this this realization today that you need Jesus. If that's you today and you want to give your heart and life to Christ, just raise your hand today. Say, I want to follow Jesus today. Amen. I want him to be my Lord. Amen. I want him to be my Savior. I want him to to lead me and guide me. I want to submit my life to Christ. Amen. If you put your hand up, you can put it down. And right there at your seat today, I want you to just pray a prayer. Asking God to be your leader. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. Believe that he rose again on the third day from the grave. And say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Let the love that you have for me that drove you to the cross go from my head to my heart. I want to experience your love in a way that leads me to love others in that same way. Amen? Maybe you're here today and you say, Joe, I've been following Jesus, but it's become rote. It's become religion. It's become just a uh, going through the motions. And I, I realize I've been convicted today that I'm passing too many people by that I'm not letting the same kind of compassion that drove Jesus to the cross, I'm not letting that same compassion flow through my life. I'm being a a taker. Jesus has given so much to me, but I'm not giving it away. I, I received freely, but I'm not giving freely. And Jesus is convicting your heart today, and you say, Joe, oh man. I want to have that ability to care again. I want to have that ability to be generous again. I want to have that ability to be faithful again. If that's you today, just raise your hand and, and say, it's, it's time to recommit and say, Jesus, here I am. I want to be compassionate again. I want to be used of you. Not because I ought to, not because I have to, but because the same compassion that Jesus had is welling up inside of me. Amen. Amen. God, here we are. Pray with me today. Here we are, Jesus. We need you more than anything in this life. We need your compassion. You saw us when we were broken, when we were hurting. You stopped. You picked us up. You helped us. You made us right. You did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and we just say thank you today. God, as we paused and and remembered you through communion today, so precious, Lord, what you did for us on the cross. Help that to be the driving, motivating factor of our life, that you had grace for us. Help that to be the reason that we're, that we're helping others and we're serving you, not so that we can look good in the eyes of the world, not so that we can justify our own actions, but as a simple response to the fact that you justified us when we couldn't ourselves. And so we just want to bless other people. Help us, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.